Willkommen in der letzten Runde Podcast. Nice. Yeah, aye. That'll do. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> probably oh. be uh, better than the... Uh, it's probably that and the French certainly the best so far this season. So. Are, you, are you suggesting in somehow my, my traditional Chinese introduction was less than... Uh, Less than perfect. I never insinuated a thing. <laughs> How dare you? How very dare you, sir? Well, that was welcome to the final lap podcast in German, since there is no actual language as Austrian. Um, Don't say that to Austrians. <laughs> well, Wikipedia says that their official language and only oh, yeah. language is German, so but they'll, they'll tell you that it's their own dialect and stuff like that. Well. <laughs> No. We had the, we had all this with Monacanese, and I still. <laughs> uh, the final log podcast geography hour. <laughs> yeah, please, please don't take anything that we say just before your geography GCSE is anything close to fact. <laughs> Absolutely not. May find yourself failing miserably. So we are here to review the Austrian Grand Prix returning since uh, what's uh, seven years? Two thousand and three was so eleven time. years. Yeah. 11 years. Seems a long time. It does. It doesn't feel like that long since that circuit was in use. It does, indeed. Uh, renamed the Red Bull Ring. Um, yes. Yes, indeed. And not just that that's renamed. Half the corners were renamed as well for silly advertising purposes. So no more louder curve. It was something, I don't even know what company it was that had sponsored it, but... It's like one of those silly sponsorship deals set up. So it's funny. Poor Nicky Lauda gets <laughs> corner taken away from him. Can you imagine it? Brazil into Lagos, the CNS being called like the Petroleum S or something like that. It's, it's, it's stupid. Oh dear. Yeah, the 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 taurine curve. <laughs> yeah, caffeine, uh, caffeine, um, caffeine corner. That'll do. I was trying to think of something else. Don't mind. Uh, yes. So. Uh, Other than that, though, uh, I was really looking forward to seeing the circuit back. Yes, something we may touch on later. It's a short circuit, only nine corners, uh, general lap time of about one minute ten, give or take, um, for most of the race, uh, within a second or two of that, I think, pretty much. So uh, an interesting break from the very long, multi-cornered tilt circuits that we're kind yeah. of used to having these days. Traditional um, circuit, if you like, a bit more, bit more it, old school. Indeed, and uh, it, it rather threw up a bit of an old school surprise right from the start of qualification. I was certainly surprised, but I did not expect that. I did not see that coming. No, absolutely. We um, we were treated really to the the first session really where Mercedes looked less than less than capable of bossing the race from start to finish. Um, although I, I guess we should probably start with uh, what happened to Red Bull. Are you surprised though? I mean, they don't have any straight line speed, <laughs> and it's one of the most high speed tracks around. Uh, so I, I guess I'm, it was more about Vettel, I'm really. I'm not surprised in any way that they're where they are, uh, where they were rather. Um, I just like every every team that finished ahead of them. I could point I could point to and go, yeah, I can see why that's ahead of the Red Bull. No no questions asked. Like, uh, like for example, the Mercedes, the Williams, the Force Indias, they're all got the Mercedes engine. The McLaren's got the Mercedes engine, so they're right away. At best, I thought you were looking at ninth and tenth, and then in yeah. the end, what it was 
a little bit worse than that, but it didn't didn't shock me. Didn't shock me at all. Okay. I was still surprised that they were perhaps quite as average as they were most of the weekend. Um, they weren't. I, I don't know. I think it was mostly because last season they turned up at places like Spa, which were the you know the again the traditional low downforce high speed circuits and did very well. Yeah, so I just thought that Rebel would be able to strip off the error that they had and, and be reasonable. I know they, they're down on power compared to the Merc units, but I think it surprised me that that Vettel went out so... with a whimper. It didn't seem like he ever came close to be able to get into Q1. Do you know what I mean? Uh, just... I do, I do, yeah. Um... I expect struggles, but the, the, the level of struggle surprised me. Yeah, I mean, if I was pushed on it in qualifying, I would say I'd expect, I would have expected them to break the top ten, but only just. So, I guess from that perspective, yeah, I'm slightly surprised that he didn't at least get ninth or tenth. But not, not. I'm, I would have been more surprised if he was fifth than I am that he was thirteenth or whatever it was. Yeah. So, okay. That's, I guess that's an overall point. True. Um, but the surprise of the weekend was the pace of the Williams team. Very surprising. Um, bringing home a, a... pleasant surprise. Though. I don't think anybody will be disappointed, really, to see that. I think everybody wants to see Williams do well at this stage. So. Yep, and I think, I think people were generally happy to see somebody giving Mercedes a run for the money, making them have something to think about other than what their two cars were doing. Um, And that certainly seemed to be a big problem for Lewis Hamilton, who had a dreadful uh, last qualifying, went over the white line on his first lap, which is, I think, out of the two, is really the more unforgivable sin, really, because your first lap is generally probably not going to be your fastest lap. You generally improve on your second lap because the tracks come to you and all the other bits and pieces. So it should be the bank collapse. So it's the one that you should be more careful about making sure you get the time in and it's a good representative time that's going to at least get you in those sort of top four positions, probably no matter what, especially if you're Mercedes with their advantage. Um, so it makes, a, you know, a slight but costly error in his first run and then in the second run, it uh, spins it. Yeah, absolutely. Very strange. To see two errors like that in back-to-back laps is very strange. You'll often see one and you think, oh, no, is, and then there's a tense moment where is he going to do it, is he going to do it, and then the dri- whichever driver it may be in question pulls out at the last second. That tends to be how it always goes, and you've got a few minutes of tension before they just they just get the job done. But to see two back-to-back mistakes like that was, was extremely surprising, uh, especially for a guy like Lewis. You tend, like... One lap quality pace is probably one of his absolute strengths. I mean, his record of pole positions is excellent. So, a bit uncharacteristic, certainly. Uh, but that's racing, isn't it? Uh, it is indeed, yeah. You've got to have the time on the board for it to count. And if you yeah. don't get it on the board, then you end up coming ninth in qualifying. <laughs> now, here's something maybe you can ask me, answer me. Why was Lewis Hamilton ahead of Nico Hulkenberg, since they both didn't set a time? Uh, I, I, I don't have an answer for that. 
No. <laughs> it happened. And everybody's saying, oh, he'll be ninth because Nico Rosberg hasn't. And I was thinking, well, how does that work out? Is, did, 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 he go... set, did he set a time when he did his spin? No. He no, he went straight. He would have in. set a sector time. And Hulkenberg didn't set a sector time. Well, the lap that he spinned, he would have set a sector time and then spun and then gone in the pits. Oh, okay. And that's that they judged that sector time. Whereas it would look like to Nico, Nico Hulkenberg, he had nothing because the only lap he did was disqualified. So he had no times on the board, but at least Lewis would have uh, had a sector okay. time on the board. That makes sense. So that, because in the past when you used to have silliness with drivers not going out at all in Q three and stuff because tires and all that thing with the Pirellis a couple of years ago, uh, you would get them going out and doing one sector and coming back into the pit so they had a sector time on the board. It was just absolute silliness. Yeah. Hmm, okay. Well, that that makes sense. I wondered if maybe they were they looked back at the Q2 times and then arranged it from there. That would have been my next guess, but I'm pretty sure it's sector times. It's just one of those things that usually Martin Brundle comes up straight away on the commentary and explains exactly why that's the case. But nobody yeah. did. Everybody seemed to be like, yeah, no, that's fine. That's what we expect. I'm like, oh, okay. Fair <laughs> um, so the the first, uh, the, the front row lockout was achieved by Williams with Felipe Massa uh, coming in ahead of Valtteri Bottas. Nico Rosberg came in third, um, complained, at, well, he didn't complain, but he said that his lap was essentially ruined by uh, Lewis Hamilton's spin. The fact that he <laughs> spun and brought out the yellow flagsman, he had to slow down on his hot lap. Funny that, eh, after Monaco. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, uh, Lewis has, has not got the uh, not got the plan quite down pat, has he? You've actually got to set a time first before <laughs> you then crash and stop your teammate from fucking getting getting ahead of you. Uh, great lap from both the Williams boys, but so pleased to see Massa with the pole position. We'll talk about the race in a minute, but so pleased to at least see him get that pole his first pole for I think six years yeah. since in, into Lagos 2008 that that Brazilian Grand Prix <laughs> uh, yeah delighted for Felipe delighted for everybody at Williams as I was saying a minute ago I guess just a popular a popular result and then the paddock and everything like they're just like from where they've been the last couple of seasons like to go from what they were in the 90s to where they've Fallen. I think everybody, even the most like ardent, I don't know, Ferrari or McLaren fan from the 90s, still pretty pleased to see Williams get a little bit of success, I think. Yes, absolutely. Um, and Claire Williams seems like she knows what she's doing. <laughs> yes, there was a very, uh, give a, a little sh- shout out to uh, sniffpetrol.com. Have you ever seen that site? No, I've never heard of that. No. It's very good. Uh, uh, God does very humorous um, articles in between some other bits and pieces. Um, and uh, his top one after the uh, the Austrian Grand Prix was uh, Claire Williams warned that it was a shock today at Williams as F1 bosses ordered Deputy Team Principal Claire Williams to stop bringing warmth and humanity to the sport. <laughs> Formula One yeah. didn't become the pinnacle of motorsport by appearing human and pleasant on television. It did so by presenting viewers with an endless series of dull men taking, talking humorously, uh, humorlessly about technical detail and expressing little to no emotion in the face of success. <laughs> and that's exactly how it should stay. <laughs> I like that. That is good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Honourable mentions in quality should go to Fernando Alonso for dragging the uh, Ferrari into fourth. Just doing what Fernando does every single week, doesn't he? Just dragging that Ferrari around half a second a lap faster than it has any right to be. Uh, and I think a good shout out for Kevin Magnussen in sixth. Absolutely, very definitely. 
very much dragging that McLaren to um, a place. Similar, to... similar fucking thing with Ferrari, just not fast enough, quite simply. Yep. <laughs> um, so that that led us to an you know an interesting start to the race with the Mercedes having to realistically make the running to some degree uh, during the race. Um, Certainly um, made it a little bit more exciting at the start than it has been for the last couple like few few races. Certainly with Lewis down in ninth, there was a question mark over what he was going to get up to. Yeah, could Nico get past the Williams at the first corner? There was a lot going into that that first lap. So let's um, let's cover the race realistically. Um, our winner eventually was Nico Rosberg. By, <laughs> yeah. uh, eventually by 1.9 seconds ahead of Lewis. Very 1.9 interesting. Was, was, that the inter- was that the end of the gap? That yeah. was the gap by the end of the uh, the race. Um, I think we should probably take both of their races kind of at the same time because yeah. that was pretty much the tail of the race. Well, they pretty general. much stayed together most of the race. If you looked at Quali and then looked at um, the race results, you'd be forgiven thinking, how the hell did Lewis manage to get up there? But it was all on the first lap. It was a mighty start. Indeed, he was up from ninth to, I think, fourth by the third corner? He passed. Yeah, he was certainly in fifth. And then he got a good run at Alonso uh, until, I think, turn three or something and... Uh, Put on, quite frankly, a really excellent overtaking manoeuvre late on the brakes. I don't think Fernando was expecting it and done him up the inside. So right away, instead of getting the battle of Lewis down the field that I was hoping for, you've just got Williams, Williams, Mercedes, Mercedes, the, the top four right away. Before, like So immediately, Lewis's mistake in qualifying was virtually undone. He was right behind Rosberg on the track almost immediately. Which, to be fair, Lewis, if you make a mistake in qualifying, that's what you need to do, and he got the job done there. So, fair do, sir. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, Rosberg got a really good start as well, but then he just got like he managed to slip ahead of Bottas, but then he just got done for power, didn't he? Like, I think he he went a little deep. Um, probably assumed that the Williams was not going to get as good uh, a good acceleration out of the corner as he was going to get. So didn't really defend it as well as he should have. Um, and Bottas just happened to come off of that corner with uh, Rocket up his bum <laughs> and uh, passed, passed the Mercedes, making it look like it was standing still, really. Yeah, it looked really... At that point, I thought, Jesus Christ, the Williamses are going to run away with this. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking begin- at the beginning of the race. Um, so really from then on, so it was a, a case that um, Nico was running... Second until the first round of pit stops, really, wasn't he? Um, behind Felipe, he didn't get into first, did he? Um, no, but did he not? But did he not been third to begin with? And then when they pitted the two Williamses, the two Williamses led up to the first stint. But I think Rob Smedley pointed out that they were really worried about tire wear, so they kept them out longer to ensure that they had a, an appropriate middle and last stint on the tires and got to the end okay. Basically, what happened there was then Felipe stays at the longest, comes in, and drops behind both the Mercedes, and Bottas comes in and drops behind Rosberg. So then, for a while, we had Rosberg, then Lewis, uh, Rosberg, then Bottas, then Lewis, then Massa. So it was Massa that really lost out big time from leading the race. The strategy just killed it, basically. Yeah. He dropped from first to fourth in the first round of pit stops and. Like that just seems to be kind of like the massa luck of the last few years. Like, 
just wasn't just didn't get the rub of the green that that kind of thing and and then that's when Rosberg moved into lead and Bottas came out and he was briefly in the middle of the Mercedes but Lewis uh, jumped him fairly quickly and then it was as you were for the last six six or seven races of two Mercedes battling it out up front. Yes, so it it was really a tale of pit stops in in one way or other. Um, really, yeah, the, it was. Yeah, the Williams slightly losing out in there by by running their own race and not reacting to um, what the Mercs were doing, just 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 going for what they were the maximum they felt they could get out of the race. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think you can blame them for that because if they had tried to match the Mercs and they had a really shocking final stint on tires or something and lost. To, I don't know. Say Alonso got third place, they'd have been crucified probably. So, I mean, you can't really blame them because I think they knew deep in their heart of hearts they couldn't really match the the Mercedes. So they just had to do their own thing. I think. Yeah. Um, it's a shame, but maybe it'll come in the next week or in the next couple of weeks. I mean, if this is just one step on the stone for Williams, who knows what they could go in the next few races? So. No, you're 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 spot on there. Realistically. Um, so, here's this bone of contention that's been flying about the F1 world. Nico Rosberg had two middling pit stops. I think it's something like a 2.6 and a 3.0. Yep. Uh, Lewis, Hamilton, already. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton had a 3.0 for his first stint and uh, I think a four-second one. I think a four dead, I think. A 4.0 at one stage. Um what are the what are the conspiracy theorists suggesting? Well, they they are seriously suggesting that the Mercedes pit team train hard on being able to do a three and a half second pit stop compared to a four second pit stop. Basically, I mean, have you ever heard anything so silly? Like, <laughs> just... do they realise how short half a second is? And like, a human has no idea; they have no ability to do something at half a second. Like, there's no like, it's it's just silliness, man. <laughs> well, it's even more silly when you consider that it was it was very clearly explained after the race that in the first pit stop, Lewis overshot his marks. That costs you uh, half a second to a second on a pit stop because everybody has to shuffle forward before they can do anything. Yeah. Everybody knows that. It's just like the most sort of common knowledge thing. In the second pit stop, the reason why he had one tire that didn't go on quite as quick as the other is that he got a, he'd had a damaged brake duct. Um. So what they were doing was just being very careful to getting that tyre on so that they didn't bust the brake duct anymore. Yeah, I mean, the conspiracy theories would have been even further if he had to retire in the last 10 laps of the race or something. And they'd be saying, oh, that's three retirements for Lewis and none for Nico, what they're doing to his car and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, what are you supposed to say? <laughs> there pretty much isn't anything. It's just because... He lost about two seconds in the pits, and so ended up two seconds. Um, he finished two seconds behind his teammates. So they said, "Oh well, if his pit stops had been the same as Nico, he'd have won." But that's not necessarily true. Um, that's, that's you don't Formula know. One. Now, these people never watched Formula One before. Not, not every pit stop is the same. Not every pit stop can be the exact same time. No. And the other thing is, is that Everything when works. Lewis came out for his second one. Um, he didn't come out fighting anybody when he came out of the pits. You know, coming out that second earlier, what if he goes into the first corner with somebody else, somebody who's running their own race, doesn't see him, claps the front off of him, and, and that's the end of his race? Yeah. What? What? You know, it, it, it's fine margins to be able to say, oh, well, the, the pit stop ruined his race. Well, maybe the pit stop 
saved his race, or maybe the reasons why they did bits and pieces, you know, saved his race. Plus, he came in before Nico on his second set of pit stops. Yeah, that surprised me. He That's got a good point because he had the chance at the undercut. It's... Yeah, normally the lead driver would take the the first opportunity, which is when I seen Lewis come in. I was very surprised, and I thought. As a Nico Rosberg fan that I am, I was a bit worried at that point. I thought, oh no, Lewis is going to get the undercut here. I was expecting Lewis to, to come out in front. And Nico put in a good lap and just managed to stay out, so it was good. But like, that, that's a very curious one because, I mean, you'll know, lead drivers always get the call, really, in general. Like, if you're if you're close by on the on a similar strategy and that, whoever's further up, Unless your unless your name's Kimi Raikkonen and you're driving a red Ferrari, <laughs> <laughs> you don't you tend to get the the call. I mean, in general, that's a that's a, that's a fair assumption to make. Lead driver will get the call on a pit stop. Yep. So strange, but I don't know. Maybe maybe Mercedes, as we know and we've discussed in the past, they do what they have to do for the best team result, regardless of the two men at the top. I think it Isn't was. It? It was possible that what they'd looked at the gaps where people were coming out and they thought that, thought that they could feed Lewis in right there and then in the gap in between people so that he wouldn't come out behind more people who were mm -hmm. potentially going faster at this point in the race but would slow him down later on. Uh, whereas Rosberg had more of a uh, gap to play with because he was ahead on the track. So they could afford to bring Lewis in, drop him out at that you know what they would consider the most optimum time that they could but nico had a bigger window to play with so that one lap you know yeah. um wasn't well, that's just, that's necessarily right. going to be his his undoing it's just like what i'm saying they do what's best for the team you know and if they felt that was best to get the most points for putting lewis in first and getting him out in the gap and whatnot then 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 that's what they do and that's fair enough like you can't you can't argue with that they're a team as a team sport Absolutely, and let's let's not forget, if Lewis Hamilton gets in a qualifying lap, he doesn't start ninth. Yeah, and he probably starts. Well, it's a it's a very interesting hypothetical because if he gets in his his second lap, Rosberg probably gets in his second lap. So then, do they start on front row? Exactly. Do the do the Williams have still have enough pace to beat them off? Who knows? Like, could have been so different. But your, your your point is the same. Like, so going back to the pit stops and that as well, like the two seconds you're talking about in the pit stops, but Lewis surely lost more than two seconds starting ninth on the grid. Well, so, it, if you think about the, the amount of time he probably lost compared to Rosberg being behind the Williams, and it took him longer to get past both Massa and Bottas compared to Rosberg. Rosberg got yeah. past Bottas fairly early on, whereas That's Lewis true. was stuck yeah. behind him for a good five or six laps before he, he managed to get in front. Um, it could have all been so different, but that's that is the way the dice roll, the cookie crumbles. The and... Lewis Hamilton diehards are not prepared to listen to that kind of no. sense, and uh, instead they prefer to blame everybody else other than himself for his mistakes. And again, this is coming from someone that likes Lewis Hamilton. I do like Lewis Hamilton. I just prefer Nico Rosberg. But like, yeah, he made a mistake. He lost. He blew his lap. He started ninth. He done well to finish second. That's a good weekend starting from ninth. Just yeah. look at the positives. Absolutely, he, he couldn't he, get past Nico because Nico's very quick and they're an equal machinery. So absolutely, if you take it as as generally given that if you start behind somebody on the grid, there's more chance that they'll finish ahead of you. You should take ninth to second as being a, as really as good as you could possibly expect it to be. 
you shouldn't like... expect to be ahead of you shouldn't expect that you be to ahead of your teammate you should hope and try and and go for it but if you end up being second what you know from yeah. ninth whilst he started on third you just got to turn around and say that was as good a day at the office as i should expect to make yeah absolutely and i think to be fair to lewis he was kind of feeling like that after the race. It wasn't. He didn't see his fans. Are, did he? It's his fans that are a pain in the arse. Not him. Not him this week. Like, yeah, he was quite. Um, he was quite, you know, reflective. I think he was quite content given the circumstances. Obviously, he would have preferred to get past Rosberg, but like I say, they're an equal machinery with equal talent. So if one leads the other, it's going to take something pretty spectacular for the second place man to get by, and that's proven every time they've dice this year the guy that's leading at the beginning of the duel more more often than not can stay in front so like yeah like you say you can't you can't grumble with second uh it is what it is it's, it's a good result at the, at the end of the day and you should you probably i fancy him quite strongly at the next race at silverstone so, so somebody else who had uh, a really good race um was valtteri bottas started second finished third ahead of Felipe Massa. Um, again, very much in a sort of the similar sort of vein to the Mercedes. It was a, a tale of two pit stops for them. Um, did Massa stay out longer in his first stint? I think he did. Definitely did. He definitely did. And that's what dropped him back down to fourth. Uh, I mean, what happened with Bottas was Bottas pitted from second and ended up second. He came out in the same position. Mm -hmm. But... The car he was behind was now Rosberg because Massa had dropped all the way back to fourth. Yeah. Because of the stint, it's like Rob Smedley was saying, they were so worried about their tyres, they had to stay out on a longer first stint to make sure they got to the end of the race. And he was just he just lost like five seconds or something. And it was only two or three laps, but he must have lost like a second and a half a lap or something when the guys came out on the fresh boots. And that's enough at this level when you, you drop back to fourth. Which is a shame because... I, I'm a huge Massa fan, and I loved seeing him get pole, and I would love to have seen him on the podium. Take Nathan away from Bottas; he absolutely deserved it as well. But I would have really loved to see Bottas. Uh, sorry, sorry, see Massa get the podium. But I'm sure he will get one. No doubt about it. it. It seems like it should be coming now. I think, as disappointing as maybe he felt after the race, I'm sure he'll take the positives from it. Absolutely, I and mean, Massa's uh, a, a philosophical guy. I think so. I think you can see. I mean, it's just, it's really satisfying. Even though I'm a massive Ferrari fan, it's really satisfying for me to see Massa in a car that's able to, like, beat the Ferrari because just, to the, like, I hated the way he was treated there. And uh, it, it just, there's a small bit of me that whilst I'm pissed off with the Ferrari performance, there is a small satisfaction in me just going, yeah, well done, Massa. You deserve, you deserve, if you can get success out of the worms, you deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit like um, it's a bit like when your hometown football hero goes away and signs for like a Premiership club or something like that, and you're heartbroken that he's left. But whenever you see him banging goals in in the Premiership, you go, "Well, he came from us, though." Yeah, <laughs> you can sort take it a minute amount of pressure from it, despite the fact it's it's not directly what you're uh, what you're hoping for. We'll talk about Boas, but just briefly before that. Fernando Alonso said this weekend that Felipe Massa was the quickest driver he'd ever had as a teammate. Did you hear that? I did. What did you make of that? I mean, that, so that's Kimi Raikkonen, uh, Lewis Hamilton, Giancarlo Fisichella, <laughs> Nelson, Nelson Piquet, yeah, no shit. Yeah, and Romain Grosjean. So, Heike Kovalainen? And Heike, yeah, Heike Kovalainen. So, 
I wonder who he who did he who was his teammate back at Minardi. Oh, come on now, that's a, that's that's one for the quiz book, isn't it? That's one for the pub quiz. <laughs> who was Fernando Alonso's teammate in two thousand and one Minardi? Let's find out. But yeah, uh, Felipe was apparently the um, quickest driver Alonso would ever race against, which is that's quite a compliment when you put him against Lewis Hamilton and Kimi Raikkonen, I suppose. Well, it is. I think the interesting thing is, is that obviously um, he probably didn't. He, he, the Lewis Hamilton thing, he didn't end up really spending any time with him, and <laughs> he's only been there half a season. Yeah, so, so we can take it with a fair dosage of salt, I suppose. But <laughs> you know, it's good for Felipe, and I was happy to see him him have a quick car this weekend. And hopefully, like I said earlier, hope the Williams really kicks on. Like as long as Nico Rosberg wins the World Championship. I'd like to see some uh, some closer fighting up front. And if yeah. it's going to be the Williams that takes it to them, then I'm all for that because, like I said, everybody wants to see the Williams do well. So Bottas finished 8.1 seconds behind the Mercedes, which led a lot of people to say, well, maybe they could have could have raced harder for for that final, you know, for that final thing if they hadn't stuck it out quite so long. I don't... Lost that much time... Was there a chance he could have nicked second or at least been more of a, you know, have raced the front two cars? Yeah. On the, I'm of the opinion that given the way uh, Mercedes have been this season and given the way Williams have been for the last five seasons, to be only eight seconds behind them after a 70-lap race is massive success at this stage yep. of the season. And to be asking for anything more than that is just, you know, biting the... Uh, What's the phrase? Getting a wee bit ahead of yourself there. So, like I say, that'll come. Williams will come. I'm pretty sure they're going to keep developing. But let's take it as what it is at this stage. That's a huge success to be only eight seconds behind that Mercedes that at one point in the season looked like lapping the entire field in some races and things like that. Yeah. They were eight seconds behind after 70 laps. So that's like a tenth of a fucking lap or something. Stupid like that. Like, no. It's... It's an impressive feat, yeah, however absolutely. you want to look at it, really. And they had, as I've said it, I've said it like three times now, but they've had, they had worse tyre wear, simple as that, and they had to do the strategy that they did. So they got the absolute best out of that car this weekend, in my opinion. Bottas particularly, obviously, he drove really well to only finish eight seconds behind. Definitely a massive plus 10 for Williams. And anybody saying that they should be further up, <laughs> Clearly hasn't been watching F1 for the last five years <laughs> when they've had Pastor Maldonado crashing it in, in, in Q1 every week and things like that. So this is just one step. They'll be they're going to go further. I'm sure of it. Um. So yeah, Valtteri did an, an amazing job, and I think Massa did a very good job, especially given how Dan Hartley must have been to have dropped so quickly back to fourth. And then never really looked like catching up. And his second pit stop was another slow one, put him farther behind. Um, he's got some of that massive bad luck that he's had for the last couple of seasons, and that's yeah. just the way it's kind of gone for him. And hopefully that'll change. Uh, but Bottas, you know, even if Massa performed to his very best, it's not saying he would beat Bottas. Bottas looks very quick, yes. very impressed with what I've seen out of this guy. I think everybody is. I think all of the pundits and whatnot and the guys in the paddock are all talking about Bottas. This guy's the real deal. Well, I was need to keep hold of him. No, they said, didn't they, when they when they signed him as the as the driver and stuff, they said 
you know, keep an eye out for this guy. He's going to be really quick. And obviously he got saddled with a shite Williams car for, <laughs> you know, the, when he came in. He didn't, you, you saw it with that, that little um, third place, didn't you? That, in quality. Yeah. He definitely but has speed. There was something Rough. there that he was going to, you know, yeah, yeah you can see and, and now give a big decent car and he's he's capable of really going very, very fast in it. He's probably going to be the most successful finish driver this year. Now, with Kimi going to Ferrari, you wouldn't have put a bet on that <laughs> no. at the start of the season, would you? So Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, huge potential. Still young and he's finished. And who doesn't love a finish Formula 1 driver, quite frankly? Well, Certainly, I'm in the uh, pro finish camp. It's uh, always been my. I don't know why. Always has been for the. They're just very likable, aren't they? <laughs> I think it's something about the general sort of deadpan. Yeah, they all seem to have that. Like, <laughs> it's it's almost like you're in a, like the fastest, most dangerous sport in the world, and yet you talk to me like you've just come away from the WI meeting on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> That's what what's not to like, really. So we're two by two, Mercedes and then Williams fifth place. Best of the rest as usual, Mr. Fernando dragging yeah. that Ferrari round. Another, it's the same every week now from Alonso. It's just so uneventful. Doesn't get himself involved in much scrapes. He's just tottering about in that Ferrari. I was gonna say the points. I think I saw more of um, Roman Grosjean during the whole race than I did Fernando Alonso. Yeah. I think I saw more shots of the Lotus than I did of the Ferrari. So strange, yeah. They're just meandering. Really, really, really odd. Absolute um, mediocrity. Didn't finish that far behind Massa, but, you know... Yeah, there was again, a very brief moment where the punditry were trying to convince us that Alonso was going to be able to catch Massa. <laughs> and then he just never, <laughs> never came at all. I think Massa might have pitted and had fresh tyres on at that point and then he just pulled away, yeah. So, um, it was never going to be anything higher than fifth. He was never going to be able to beat the Williams or the Mercedes pace, so for his own little individual race, I guess he's won it. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, sixth place with Sergio Perez. Very good um, drive, very good drive. Probably, probably, you know, good shout for driver of the day there. Realistically started... Um, when did he start? He started 15th on the grid. because going to say late teens, wasn't qualified, he? Qualified uh, 10th and then he took a five-place penalty for that incident in Canada that still yeah. rumbled on all the way over into Austria because Jeez. poor Perez couldn't answer the stewards in Canada because he was in hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to turn up here to be told that, yeah, he was getting a five-place penalty. <laughs> so, yeah, 15th he qualified and just, it's just did a classic Perez, what we've come to expect over the last few years, just did the complete opposite strategy to everybody else. Made it work. Very There's an guy. interesting comparison with him and another driver on the on the grid who we'll come to in a bit. And it's interesting that they chose the strange, same strategy and it worked out for one of them and it didn't for the other. Okay. I'm not entirely sure who you're talking about. So uh, You will when I get to Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, carry on. But great <laughs> type of Perez. Like you say, he's definitely up there for driver of the day. He, at, at one stage, I genuinely thought he might be able to... Uh, get ahead of the Williamses. There was a point where he was on quite old rubber, but still putting in quick times. And I thought, if this guy, if this carries on, he's going to be right there. And then he just couldn't quite last. And he felt he had the pit and he dropped significantly behind. But he still, I think at one stage he was behind a few guys on track and he had to pass them. Like he passed Magnussen 
because the way the strategy worked, he came out and had to pass Magnussen on track, which he did quite quite well. So I think he had to do both. He had to do Ricardo as well. Yeah. So good good drive for Perez, and I, I, I praise Perez. Fact, actually, he had to, he technically had to do Hulkenberg as well, but Hulkenberg let him through. I remember. Oh, that. of course, yeah, Force India said he's on fresh tires. Let him go. Contra strategy. Because obviously Hulkenberg start, uh, you know, qualified ahead of him mm-hmm. and was on the, did the, uh, did the optimum. optimum strategy. Yeah. <laughs> it really seemed to work, did it? Um, <laughs> so I was very impressed with with Sergio Perez because he he'd been getting a lot of stick. I think a because of the crash and um, just you know every everybody knows what a talent Nico Hulkenberg is um, and has been, and, and I think everybody feels that Nico probably is in a team that's beneath him is the wrong word to say, but is he could be in a faster team and nobody would bat an eyelid at that. So I think Sergio has got a lot to prove. So I think it was it was really refreshing to see him stuck, be stuck with a task of running long ahead of, you know, ahead of fast cars and making the strategy work. Yeah, absolutely. It was a very disciplined race from him. Very mentally astute. Uh, I praise Perez most weeks. I really like the guy. And I think... Because Nico Hulkenberg is almost seen as this golden child amongst the Formula One sort of media, everybody talks about whenever there's a potential drive for a big team, everybody immediately says, Hulkenberg's going to get it this time. It's Hulkenberg this. He's got all the potential. So, And I love Hulkenberg. I do like him, and he is great. But it just it pleases me to see Perez being like, hey, don't forget about me, you know? Like, I know I had a pretty meh naff season at McLaren, but I'm still talented, and I'll show you what I can do. So and I, I was just in my nature to kind of root for the underdog a little bit. So since he's been turfed out in the McLaren, I really hope he does well. Uh, speaking of McLaren, seventh place went to seventh place. <laughs> Thorway, uh, seventh seventh <laughs> place. Got, Jeez, got there in the end almost. Easy for you to say. Uh, Kevin Magnussen in the McLaren. Yeah, Sergio Perez. He's uh, seat. Yeah, good drive by Magnussen, to be fair. Uh, I mean, he comprehensively beat his teammate, who's a world champion, so can't really ask for much more than that. He was among the new the new guys who sh- had a very good showing at, at this racetrack. Danny Kvyat, until he, you know, exploded. Um, yeah, Kvyat was going well. Yeah, was going well as well. And it was noted, one thing that, you know, again, Brundle... Uh, spots these kind of things is that whilst everybody else was flirting with the white line at turn eight, all of the newbie guys were doing something slightly different as they were going half on and half off and doing a different line off into the next corner. So what they'd obviously worked out is that if you took, you could take more speed into the corner if you dilly dallied with the white line. But I think what it probably was is that if you took the way that they did, you had more grip and you actually came off of the corner faster um, which probably improved you further down the racetrack the other way. So you, you compromised something somewhere else, and that was giving them a boost. Because he mm-hmm. he found stuff in that McLaren that Jensen was just not finding. Um, Maybe one of these occasions where having a fresh open mind is better than the experience. You know, Bottas was taking the same line uh, as well, as was Kvyat. And I, 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 I'm sure I saw some of the other older drivers starting to take that line here and there. Just to try and see if it was faster. Now, whether it was ultimately, I, you know, I'm not a racing driver. I don't know. I've never driven a Formula One car around the uh, Austrian GP track. Yeah. But <laughs> well, yes, indeed. There's still time. There's still time. Um, 
but you know he qualified really really seriously well and drove a great race similar to um, Fernando Alonso in the Ferrari Magnussen pretty much put that McLaren where it should be at this stage any further up in that really and is, is massively overachieving what that McLaren's got to offer it wasn't going to beat either the Mercedes or the Williams he might have been able to finish ahead of Perez and Alonso but it's much of a muchness so yeah well their, their times were were not there wasn't a massive drop between them and like Fernando finished um, 18 seconds behind uh, the leader Sergio was 28 seconds and then Magnussen was 31 so there was only yeah. a few seconds between him and Sergio and all the 10 seconds is a lot it, it's still not it's not like a, a half a lap or anything ridiculous so you know they they raced a good race together um, and, and fin- you know I think that's all three of those drivers did very very well in their cars to do to get the place that they finished. Yeah, with. they all they all comprehensively defeated their teammates. Which, when you are mm. in the midfield, has to be your first sort of benchmark, and they all did that. So props to all three of them, and another man who comprehensively beat his teammate, but <laughs> possibly not for the same reasons. Uh, the sole Red Bull on the red uh, fini- sole Red Bull finisher around the Red Bull ring, taking only a couple of points home for them was a. Uh, Danny Rick, winner in Canada, to journeyman also ran, also ran in Austria, which is funny how it works, but that's Formula One for you. So eighth place for Danny Rick. Yeah, he uh, he very much dragged that Red Bull to 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 that finish. Mm-hmm. Um, did not look on it all weekend. Either of the Red Bulls, that is. Um, As a and... touchdown or opening, I'm I just wasn't surprised at all. Uh, like. To be fair, looking at those results, I'm surprised Hulkenberg didn't didn't pass him, didn't get ahead of him. But uh, didn't did Ricardo not pass Hulkenberg fairly late on? I can't remember. Or was it? Did he pass him earlier? Can't, can't remember. remember. It's tough to remember the late passes. Well, I again, remember Jensen <laughs> a few months a few weeks ago making up four places and nobody noticed. Yeah. Like, because there's that much going on in the front <laughs> too that you just you just don't even notice what's going on down the back. I think Sebastian Vettel still managed more camera time than Daniel Ricciardo did. Yeah. I think that's, that's again, do you know what I mean? Vettel breaking down was more more newsworthy than the whole of Daniel Ricciardo's race. That's fucking true. <laughs> Even when Vettel was a lap down, they still showed him. <laughs> they showed him fighting out with the caterums. Um, so, ninth place was Nico Hulkenberg, who probably is very disappointed with his race. Started sixth, didn't he, I think? It was a very disappointing And just went back and back and back. Yeah, just one of those ones that he just wasn't that quick. He was comprehensively beaten by his teammate. He was con- comprehensively beaten by the teams around him that he should be competing with, such as Ferrari and McLaren. So, just wasn't, wasn't Nico's greatest weekend. That's the way it goes sometimes, I suppose. He's still got a couple of points, which are always you're always going to need to pick up. But mm-hmm. uh, realistically, nothing, nothing to write home about. I don't think he'll be remembering this one particularly. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, and then we get two <laughs> former world champions. I'm uh, sick both... of talking about Kimi Raikkonen <laughs> <laughs> coming 10th. Every I'm... single week he's coming 10th. <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty much the same about Jensen, realistically. It's just getting really disappointing to talk about him just finishing outside of the points, generally. <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what the problem is. Maybe, I mean, 
maybe the maybe the time will come where they're the problem and the experienced guys need to just let it go and hand over to the youth. But yeah, like Kimi's getting such a pounding from Alonso that I just did not expect. I know how good Alonso is. Everybody knows how good Alonso is. He's probably, in my opinion, the best driver on the grid. But Kimi Räikkönen isn't far behind him and should be much closer than that. But Kimi doesn't even look like getting a fifth place at the moment at all. Like, doesn't even look like getting anywhere near fifth or sixth. It's always ninth and tenth at the moment. He he seem his race performances always make it seem like he's missed a practice. Yeah, that's what it's like. He's His like, car never seems quite set up quite Yeah, quite he's correct. just a wee bit, like, just off it every weekend, like half a second off the pace. And and it's reflected in his results. I mean, maybe that car, that car at Ferrari, like, they're so used to building it around Fernando. Maybe, I mean, I guess it's just not suited to him. Because you've seen what he did in the Lotus last year. Kimi Räikkönen hasn't become a bad driver. <laughs> no. Dragged the Lotus to podiums and a couple of race victories. And look at the state of the Lotus this season. So, I mean, Räikkönen isn't suddenly a crappy driver who can't get his bloody Ferrari in the points. It's obviously just inherently designed in a way that he isn't really comfortable with and he's having difficulty setting up the car every mm. single week. Which is a concern because then something needs to give. Either Alonso goes and they build a team around Raikkonen or Raikkonen has to just leave. There's no point in him being there. If he's going to stay in 10th all year or all next season, what's the point? He'd be no. as well sticking Hulkenberg in the car and seeing what he can do. Indeed, or Bianchi. Yeah, or Joe's Bianchi. You don't, need, don't, need to, don't need to know that I'll be supporting that. So, yeah, I just... Last time last season, when we started looking towards Nick this season and the rumours were raking into Ferrari, I was so excited. But it just isn't working, is it? <laughs> the experiment does not seem to be bringing the fruit that they have. In theory, they should be the two best drivers on the grid, but it's just... Yeah. Hmm, someone's got um, to give there, and <laughs> it might end up being both of them. Well, there's certainly... Certainly worth touching on that in the in the news yeah, when, like, we, when we I mean, get around both, to that. They're not neither of them are no spring chickens, and if Ferrari want to just go fuck it, fresh start, that may have to that may have to happen. Um. So yeah, Jensen started eleventh, finished eleventh. Um. He ran the same. He was the guy who ran the same strategy as Perez. Oh, okay. See, so I don't even. I can't really remember anything from Jensen's race. Really, that that probably tells its own story. <laughs> so realistically, if um, Perez goes from fifteenth to sixth, Jensen should go from eleventh to first. How has he not done that? Nope. <laughs> How has uh, he not gotten points there? That's the question. No, he. The reason why Perez was able to make the strategy work and Button wasn't was the Button lost three places at the start by being nearly knocked off the by being knocked off the track by Hulkenberg. He made his tires date which meant he was behind people so he had to he his tires took a pounding because he was behind so many people for so much longer. Yeah I can imagine that was, was So he had to work so much harder whereas uh Perez people got out of his way. So he sort of ended up just inheriting first fresh air and the ability to look after his tyres whilst yeah. he was doing reasonable stints, which meant he could do a decent average for much, much longer. Perez, um, Perez was also very 
he was smart in the battles that he fought. He didn't fight people that he didn't have to and stuff. And I'm not saying Jensen did. I'm just saying that you know that's well, Jensen had to. Yeah. Jensen had to overtake people, so he didn't. He didn't have the option of just hanging back and seeing how the tires would go and how long he could eke it out. He had to get back some of the places he'd lost to make it even worthwhile. Uh, and that was the tale of his race, really. Every time he had to push harder, it meant it actually pushed him further back. Um, and that's where he ended up. Nil point. Nil point, indeed. I can't remember um, the German for point, or I would have said it in German. Nicht point. Nicht point. <laughs> Nicht mein Commandant. Um, 12th place. Dear God, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with the world? Pastanano finished... <laughs> Finishes the race. I'm he didn't surprised. crash into anybody. Nobody was upside down. <laughs> Nobody was upside down. It is now expected that people were upside down. It's like it's like Luis Suarez biting people. It's expected that Pastor Maldonado will flip you over. Like, <laughs> how do I even upside down? <laughs> uh, who's this driver in thirteenth? I don't think I've seen this guy all season. No. <laughs> Uh, and brilliantly, he manages to come home 13th after being told to stop his car on track for being mistaken for Esteban Gutierrez. Yeah, I've seen that article. <laughs> like, that, that's like something you would, like your Sunday League team would do or something. Yeah, like These guys are a professional outfit. They've been in Formula 1 for, God, as long as I can remember, 25 years or something, cyber up and about. And they're making mistakes like that. <laughs> Come on, it's just, come on, guys. It's <laughs> not good, not good. Uh, Roman Grosjean, like I say, it seemed to get more camera time than um, Maldonado did for some unknown reason. It just seemed to be in little battles here and there, yeah. uh, getting in people's way. Uh, ended up 14th. So that's a double finish for Lotus. Is that the I first one that's of the season? that's got to be a success, quite frankly. I, yeah. I, I, can't, I, can't, I don't believe it's the first one. There's bound to be one where they've both finished, but even still, well done. <laughs> Uh, Kamui Kobayashi becomes uh, best of the rest, uh, finishing ahead of Max Chilton, uh, who finished ahead of Marcus Ericsson. You forgot Bianchi. Did I? Bianchi oh, was in between Grosjean and bizarre. Kobayashi. Sorry, I completely... I You're did. forgetting I... a point scorer, Andrew Pearson. Yeah, this guy's got oh. two world championship points. Oh, all right. <laughs> Calm down. No, he was 15th, uh, Kobayashi 16th. So, oh yes, of course. Russia beats the Caterham in the battle that everybody, you know, <laughs> just just uh, is thrilled by. Uh, with poor old Esteban Gutierrez finishing last after having a fucking nightmare <laughs> yeah. of a race again, like Jesus. the cyber team. Jesus Christ! So the DNFs. Uh, indeed. Uh, <laughs> all rebel cars. Again, poor Dietrich. Yeah, I'll not be pleased with that. Um, Sebastian Vettel first uh, was driving along merrily, uh, lost all power trundled along for a lap and then suddenly got all of his power back um, and then lost it all again I think they pulled them in just to save bits on that car if it kept it well, going it probably would have just blown up wouldn't it? So. Vettel's used more, more engine bits than anybody else in the grid so this, yeah. they need to start saving them somewhere I mean if they'd kept going and lost had a massive blowout that would have done more damage. Well, if they so. if it literally melted the you yeah. know, the engine parts and bits of it, so they can't even try and repair them and reuse them, it's um, it, it's no good. Um, well, the Russell guys just didn't get much luck, did they? Well, Kvyat's right tire exploded, um, disintegrating his 
right rear suspension. And um, realistically, he was two wheeling that um, Toro Rosso off off the uh, off the grid because it was only his his back right went, so it was his back left and his um, front right were the only two tires on the ground because there was no back right and the front left was just half a foot <laughs> off the ground. So sure. was, I thought it was quite fairly impressive for him to wheel it until uh, to to the edge of one of the runoff areas and um, uh, not get in the way for for very very long. Um, Jean Eric Verne retired with brake problems. Ah uh, yeah yeah I remember that yeah uh, having completed sixty one laps which is a bit galling because it was only seventy one I think wasn't there yeah ten laps to go. Ten laps to go yeah. Uh, well, that that was that was the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, driver of the day, please, Sean. It's a very difficult one. Once again, I'm very self-aware that if I keep giving things to Nico Rosberg, I look like a fanboy. Uh, you are a fanboy. I'm going to say Bottas. To give it only eight seconds behind the car that's been a second a lap faster all season, eight seconds over 70 laps. Getting his, I think it's his first podium in Formula One. Williams' his first podium for 150 years. Um, <laughs> yeah, as, uh, Rosberg did a fucking excellent job. Got it in first and kept a hold of first ahead of a charge in Lewis Hamilton. Great drive, great victory, deserved it. But Bottas uh, is my driver of the day for, for what he's done for Williams and for what he'll hopefully have done for the rest of the championship. Hopefully now this will boost Williams on and... Uh, I'd love to see Williams get a victory this season. So, yeah, Bottas. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give it to Sergio Perez because um, Contra Strategy is a hard thing to pull off uh, and he did a, a really masterful job to, um, you know, to jump nearly 10 places in a race. Is no, no mean feat. Um, I can I can absolutely not argue with you at all in your decision. You could have easily have been mine uh, on another day. You would have been. Uh, like I said, a big fan of Perez, so yeah, good call. Can't argue also, with that. I'm quite happy to give it to him because I know that you've given it to Valtteri, so uh, it probably would have been my first choice otherwise. Fair enough. Both of them, um, both of them have equal claims, to be fair. So. <laughs> quite diplomatic uh, there. Retard of the race? Uh, let's have a look. <laughs> I don't know. Was there? I don't feel, was there anything notable that was notably retarded? We can give it to Lewis for his qualifying effort, but uh, I was going to go with this Sauber strategy. Too. Oh well, right, okay. If we're not going with specific drivers, whoever whoever radioed Sutil to come into the fucking pits when it was supposed to be Gutierrez, uh, was it the drive through that he, he made Sutil do? No, um, there was a problem with. Uh, Esteban's car. Oh. So they were trying to tell him to stop, but they told Suttle literally <laughs> to stop on track, and it ble- you know sort of slowed yeah. down. So he was he was all prepared to the stop. Suttle button instead of the Gutierrez button <laughs> is to blame, and he is the retard of the race, specifically him. <laughs> I thought for a minute there when I first read the article, I thought they'd made Suttle do the drive-through penalty or do the stop-go penalty when it wasn't him. <laughs> that, that would have been, been amazing. <laughs> I was just stop doing a ten second stop go with his hands in the air like what am I doing this for? <laughs> that that would be on par with Lewis's parking his Mercedes in the McLaren pit stop garage. Brilliant. Which is still my favourite thing that's ever happened in Formula One. Oh yeah, Sauber just fucking hell. They they, they get it. they get the retard this week. Pastor <laughs> Maldonado has a smug smile somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's not him. Yes! <laughs> it's not me. 
Uh, brilliant. Well, I think that takes us nicely to the end of the Austrian Grand Prix. So let's have a look at what's going on in the Formula One news. The Final Lap Podcast News. So Toto Wolff has come out after the race uh, saying that the rivalry in the Mercedes inter-team battle is hurting the transparency between the sides of the garage, uh, which is quite an honest thing to say, really. It's not really a surprise, is it? I mean, I assume well, like oh, the guy, the guys who are engineering Nico and the guys who are engineering Rosberg, they're, uh, they're engineering Lewis. They're going to be as competitive, really, as just as much as the two drivers are. I mean. But if you think if you're in if you're in similar machinery, well, then the only other advantage you can do is making sure that the other guy doesn't know where you're, you know, where to pick up speed. From. Exactly, they're going for so, the world championship here. The data's out there, isn't there? That's the thing. With one strategist doing everything for everybody, the data is out there for people to look at and analyze from both sides of the thing. And that was another thing that came up in the uh, rabid Lewis Hamilton fanboy things is that. Um, Nico is only faster than Lewis because he takes Lewis's data and improves himself, whereas there is nothing in Nico's data that Lewis Hamilton can improve from. What the fuck? <laughs> Go away, you... Are people actually... Look. I don't... I'm, I'm, I yeah, avoid really. these dark corners of the internet. Really? I, I, my mental health can't handle it. Like, the people that actually believe this nonsense. There are dribbling window lickers who believe exactly <laughs> that. Jesus. I thought they'd gone away after 2008. <laughs> no, no, they, they've they come back now that Lewis looks like he's going to win something. Yeah. <laughs> he isn't, isn't going to win anything this year anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, is that, do you, is that acceptable? Is it acceptable that the sides of the garages are deliberately not it's really difficult. highlighting the data for each side to be able to use? Is that is that acceptable? you know as a if you were the team boss would you just go oh, well that's you know that's how it is or would you i think i would let it go up to a point there needs to be a point where you i don't know it's difficult because they are they are that far ahead i know williams were close this year uh, this week but they still got a one two and it came to a point where they were having to properly properly battle other teams, then I think you'd probably stay, say, but but if I was total wool for it now, I'd probably I wouldn't I wouldn't be worried. Put it that way at this stage, if until Williams or whoever else for that matter can beat them on race pace for a whole race distance, I wouldn't be overly concerned. But it's okay. such a difficult one because. Toto has said himself, and I'm obviously thinking from that point of view because I am a fan. Toto said that he owns, he owes the fans the the right of a competition with the two of them going at it, which is you know great. We all pra praised Mercedes for that at the start of the season that they were going to let them race and stuff. So it's a really difficult one to strike a balance between that and uh, obviously getting the best result for the team. I don't know. I'm not paid hundred thousand pounds a year or whatever to manage a Formula One team. I'm not sure what the answer is. It's a difficult one. But at the moment, if I was Total Wolf, I wouldn't be too concerned. We're still quicker than everybody else, probably by a decent margin, even though it looked closer this weekend than it has been. So I wouldn't be worried yet. 
but I'd be just keeping one eye on it closely. With with that all being said, these are the small fishes of, you know, potentially large cracks. Do you think that the Mercedes team can remain united for, for the rest of the campaign? Or, or is it simply inevitable that we're going to see Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg smash into each other at the first corner or during quality or something like that and just take each other out and cost each other points? I mean, I think that's a 50-50 one. It so could easily happen, and it so could easily have happened so far this season. But at the same time, they're both world-class drivers, and they're both well aware of the situation, and they're both proven time and time again this season that they're able to scrap without making contact. So I wouldn't say it's inevitable that they do, because that would be a bit unfair on the skill level of the two drivers. I just think it's a possibility that you have to keep in the back of your mind. I'm, quite, I'm, I'm getting splinters from sitting on the fence, but, <laughs> but, but maybe, essentially, is my answer. They might crash into each other, but they might not. So, again, it's finding the right balance. I think this season will be the worst of it. I think this season is going to be really tough on both sides, and it will rip them as far apart as it, as it can be ripped. But next season, I fully expect more teams to be pressing them. It'll be much more competitive up front, hypothetically. Hopefully, Red Bull will have their shit sorted. Ferrari, fucking pray to God, have their shit together. <laughs> McLaren probably will improve, Honda coming in, all of that stuff. So in theory, it won't just be Nico versus Lewis. So this will be the only year where it's properly just Nico versus Lewis. Next year, it'll probably be Nico versus Lewis versus Alonso versus Spettel versus whoever's in the McLaren or whatever. So... So there'll be much less strain, but right now every single camera is focused on Nico versus Lewis, so it's understandable that the strain's there. So if they can get through this season, they'll be fine, is my point. It's whether they can yeah. get through this rocky, this is the rockiest patch, and if they can get through this, it'll be hunky-dory. But that's not that's not a given, and they're going to have to really, really be careful. So if we're saying it's a 50-50 risk at the moment, what what's the acceptable point? that Merck step in and say... The problem is, is because the longer you get in the World Championship, the closer you get into winning a title, and these two guys are going to be this close. So you can't say with two races to go, right, now you just need to stop battling, because that's when it's the most heated, because there's only two races to go, and there's only ten points in it or whatever. So I, I feel like they might have crossed a bridge that's impossible to go back across. You can't now then say, right, you're no longer allowed to race, because they've been allowing them to race. Do you think that's? Do you think there's just no, there's no possible way, even if it's. Um, I mean, but, Nico. Nico is ahead in the championship by. Oh yeah, okay. Forty nine points. Lewis is Lewis is behind him, and then um, for whatever reason they say there's a Williams within, within another forty points of, of Lewis. So instead of being one two. It's potential that if. You know, um, Lewis takes out Nico in the last race. Williams comes through, takes first, gets double points, leaps Frog Lewis in the championship. I mean, that is that could happen, but I think there's a small chance. I think that's highly unlikely that that would happen. I think it's highly unlikely that they'll be in a position where they're ever at any risk of being not first and second in both 
championships. Well, they're obviously going to win the constructors, and I don't think there's ever any real risk. Certainly at this stage, who knows where the development come? But I would be, I would rate it as ninety percent likely that they're going to come one and two, and a tiny percent chance that they won't. So I don't think there's overly risk in that sense. But just um, if there's two races to go, say, and there is only twenty points in it or whatever, you try to, you're going to say to Lewis Hamilton, you need to hold station. <laughs> it's just, well. it's just not going to happen. Even I mean, that's my point. Like, even if Toto and uh, whoever else, the the wee engineer guy, what's his name, Paddy Lowe. Even if they want to say, right, we want to hold station. You think these two guys are going to hold station? It's not going to happen. It just isn't going to happen. That's my point about the bridge being crossed. They're never going to. Now that they've let them race for so long, they're always they're just going to race. These guys are these are the both of them want to win because of all the animosity that's been there this season as well. It's just added to it. These these two want to beat each other so bad. I don't think I've seen a driver want to beat another driver to a world title so intense for such a long time. Like when Vettel was winning more of those titles and that, he was just winning at a cruise. When Alonso won it, he was never under any real pressure. Before that, we were Schumacher. Like, this has been the most intense one-on-one battle since like Senna and Prost almost. Mm-hmm. So, these two guys want to beat each other so badly. That no matter, like, so even if you said to them, right, guys, we need to be careful here, that does, that's not going to make a damn bit of difference, I don't think. Fair dues. Uh, in other news, Bernie Eggleston has come out and said he is happy if some of the backmarkers drop out. This was board. a very strange comment from Bernie. That was, that's, that's like your boss saying to you, I don't care if you leave. Like, it doesn't exactly give you a vote of confidence that you're good at your job or whatever, does it? It's, a very, very strange comment for someone who should probably know better. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I know that Bernie likes to... He likes to court it. He likes to say things like that that he knows will irk people and have people talking about F1 and all the other bits and pieces. It's what Bernie does. He will say one thing one week and say one thing another. Like that interview he did with Brundle where he said, um, yeah, we we think we're going to have races here, here, and here. And then Brunel said, well, that means we're going to have 23 races. I thought you'd agreed with the um, teams that we'd only have 21 races. And he said, yes, yes, we have. <laughs> he said, so we're not going to have those last two races. Yes, we are. But that means we're going to have 23 races. That's not what you agree with the the, the, the teams. Yes, you're right. <laughs> and he's just kind of like, okay, fuck this. <laughs> There's no I point mean, yeah, in... right. Yeah, right. He does his own thing. But I just thought it was just... I don't know. A bit of a weird comment. Like, what happens then if three teams drop out? What's he expecting? Well, yeah, if you lose Sauber and Caterham and Marussia, uh, Marussia all in one go. Then there's how many teams? What, eight teams or something? Yep. Um, I don't want to spend too much long on this because we could we spent an entire episode talking about the finances in Formula One. That's but true. it's, again, another thing to say, why are we not letting customer cars be a thing why are we not saying that you can buy your suspension and you know your engine and the the general chassis from whichever team you want and then you have to put the body and the aero on top of it after that why aren't we doing that i agree i completely agree um Sauber came out and said that their own mistakes were inexcusable. Well, no, no. I was going to say, no shit. <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
as we said, they told Adrian Suttle to stop his car because they thought he was Espan Gutierrez. <laughs> which is very funny when you consider, if you look at the two drivers side by side, like Suttle's about a foot taller than Esteban Gutierrez for a start. Um, and they decided not to attach one of uh, Gutierrez's wheels at one of his pit stops. Um, this was the bit I really wanted to talk about. He got a 10 second stop and go and a 10 place grid penalty for the next race. Yeah, that's Which seems fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Is that not exactly what happened to Ricardo, though? It was, and indeed. I think I, I'm pretty sure I said at the time that that was harsh. Like, it's surely one or the other. Yeah. That's, I mean, you just double penalise someone there, essentially. Like, and that's I, like in I, football if you give a penalty and then give a second penalty for the same foul. <laughs> oh, yeah. it was such you, a bad foul. No, it's penalty. the worst way around. It's you, you get a penalty for this game, and then the next game you start the next game 1-0 down. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. Now... One of the things about it was really that um, should there be some judgment call there? Because Gutierrez didn't get more than a car's length away from his pit stop box. He never got fully onto the pit lane. It, basically, his front left tyre just about touched it. So he was in the blue overtake lane. <laughs> so I like to think of it now, the pit stop one that, <laughs> that people use when they get an unsafe release and decide, fuck it, I'm not going to break. I'm just going to pull into the lane beside the pit lane <laughs> and run down there as my overtaking lane, like overtaking in the bloody hard shoulder. Um, so, okay, they didn't attach the wheel, but unsafe? Wheel yeah, didn't come off. I, he didn't get in anybody's way and they wheeled him back, put it on, and he, he never did anything where the wheel was actually going to cause a problem. Do you know what I mean? It's a difficult I, one because for the same actions, like, it, it could have so easily have gone the other way. Like, it, that wheel could have gone off and hit someone or whatever. Like, they could have done the exact same thing and the wheel might have gone elsewhere. I, I am, in general, a fan of looking at each individual situation and having a little bit of common sense applied. I think too often rules of just the stewards in any sport, not just F1, they'll go, oh, well, that's the rule, so that's the penalty, without actually looking at this thing and going, well, wait a minute here, this is why it happened. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not as cut and dry. So in general, I'm a fan of that, but you can kind of understand why it's gone down as an unsafe release, even though it was the very sort of borderline. But at the end of the day, you'd rather have a penalty given than, I don't know, teams pushing to the edge and ending up causing... Oh, indeed. So. I, I, I get the need for a penalty. He needs a penalty. I'm not saying he doesn't need a penalty. So what, what would you... The, what do you think? Well, it, it's... Like it is. It's, t it's 10 seconds stop go and or... Uh, sorry, or I should say yeah. not and. So I think we're in agreement. Place them on the next it's race. one or the other, isn't it? I think we're in but agreement. both of them is just ridiculously harsh. And then you then compare the fact that Sebastian Vettel can drive into the back of, of Esteban Gutierrez and get no penalty. Then we can twat the front off of his car into the back of another car, and that's not apparently causing a collision. Just because he came off worst, and Gutierrez carried on, and it didn't make any difference to his race. Often that what, will happen, what? though. Often someone will do something like that, damage the front wing, have to come in, and then they'll also get a penalty, so they're being kind of like double punished. You do see that happen quite a lot. So they'll come in, pit for a new front wing, go to the back of the grid, and then they'll come back in it, and then the next second they've been penalised for the collision and they'll have to come and do a penalty and then they'll be even further behind. So it's really, steward in F1, it's really tough to do. Like, 
I mean, I just think if if there's a rule that says if you cause an unnecessary collision, you get a penalty, then you just get it. And that's one of the ones to reply blanketly and say, well, I, I don't, I don't care if it took you three laps to hobble your way back to the pit, you've still got to serve a five second stop go once they've got your car moving again. That's that's the rule. You caused a collision, it doesn't matter. As opposed to something like this, where you can look at it and go, how unsafe, do you know what I mean, was a release compared to the other ones, you know. See, in, in general, I hate, I hate a lot of the causing a collision penalties. I'd rather not see them given most of the time, unless it's really, really silly, like Maldonado's, most of his. But like, well, that, quite but, often, I think like it's just racing, and these guys are driving at 200 miles an hour, and sometimes they break a bit later than they should. It's, they're not fucking driving 20 mile an hour around a suburban uh, housing estate. These guys are on a racetrack pushing to the limit, and sometimes they make a fraction of a mistake, and it does cause a collision. I'm not really that keen on a lot of uh, collision penalties, so I don't know. No, no, I think that's I think that's kind of separate to my point, really. I because I, I agree with you essentially. I think there's a lot of times when there's there's bullshit ones where it is a proper racing incident, and you know people have to go for overtakes and all the other bits and pieces. But like Vettel's wasn't. He wasn't going for an overtake. He just completely fucking misjudged yeah. where the much slower Sauber was going to break and ran into the back of him. And that's that fine. Is a, like, that's a fucking collision. Yeah. Why didn't he get a penalty? And there is no real reason. Is, is the answer because he's Sebastian Vettel? Well, that's what everybody says. <laughs> um, I, and I think it's just it's just bizarre, isn't it? You apply black and white to some situations and then other ones you don't. It, it, it's kind of got to be... Yeah, one, uh, one or the other, not, in, in a way. Or well, there has thing. to be a range of options for the stewards to take, so that they can punish appropriately and not and not give ridiculous penalties to one guy and then no none to another. Is that the next project for us? Right, rewriting the stewarding rulebook? Mm, well, probably. <laughs> no, there was, be no, there there was a very fucking finances. long time. <laughs> finances, so now it's the stewarding rule. That was the rules. Jesus. Followed up by technical regulations. We might as well, well set up our own formula. <laughs> But yeah, yes. no, I mean, I think in general we are in agreement there with pretty much everything then. Like, yeah, like, definitely, the main talking point, I suppose, was the unsafe release. So definitely, um, it's one or the other. Like, I think that ju- it just is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's too harsh. And I think, to be fair, you might even sort of say to them, you can choose between the two of those if you want. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, actually. I'm, I wouldn't mind that because it's, <laughs> no, it's kind of like giving a... An offender, a choice between a fine or community service or something like that. Like, yeah, like I, I quite like yeah, the can, idea of of giving them the option. Yeah, you can do a week in jail or, or do three weeks of community service, yeah. or whatever quite, whatever feels better for you. Quite like that idea. Quite like that idea. I'm quite um, interested in this next story. <laughs> yes, Jacques, Jacques Villeneuve uh, has been smoking something this week. Like apparently, that goes mental. Like, he, just... <laughs> he has got mental. I don't know any other way to describe it. I just Jacques has said some ridiculous things, and I've quite liked him for it because fuck it, somebody's yeah, got to say something Jack interesting in the like, news on the panel and that on on post F one shows and stuff. I think he, he's got a bit of personality. He just says what he thinks. I like that about him. Um, so what has he said? <laughs> Do tell. Well, tell the world. Let, let's go through this point by point. 
the first is that uh, well, it really all centers around the fact that he believes Sebastian Vettel should go to Ferrari. Um, no, as a Ferrari fan, I don't want him. Well, there's there's interesting. I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on that, and whether you'd um, you'd swap out either of the current Ferrari lineup for uh, for old Sebastian. Uh, but here is here is Jacques Villeneuve's. I'd like. I'm going to put inverted commas around this reasoning, uh, <laughs> reasoning. behind this. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> uh, he's a four-time world champion who has earned the titles he won, but now Red Bull Racing is treating him. Like they were to Mark Webber. <laughs> to be Mark Webbered. <laughs> that is you no have, verb. <laughs> you have been Webbered. Um, they seem to have decided to focus only on Danny Ricardo. They want to kill Sebastian because the German is not able to give another image of Red Bull, which doesn't really make any sense. As no, a sentence, it doesn't, but does it? There you go. Once you've smoked enough crack, I suppose anything probably, uh, probably makes sense. Um, of course, he cannot stand one more season. Helmut Marco has now also started to criticise him. When you lose control of the team and the policy begins to have an ever-increasing weight, you're finished. Vettel is finished there. He needs to change team. That's a very odd rant, isn't it? What the fuck? Where has he gained this information? I d uh... <laughs> He's just decided. <laughs> he has just made that up one morning. <laughs> Uh, yeah, very odd. He he goes on further to say, who said that the door is closed at Ferrari? I think that Fernando is tired of working for nothing, and it shows that he no longer had the joy of driving up to two years ago. He carried the team on his shoulders, whilst last year he gave up. He, 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 he no longer has the strength to drag the team alone. I think that next year we will see a Ferrari in recovery, and if Fernando will have the patience to, to wait, he will deserve a... He will derive the benefits. Sorry. Otherwise, dot dot dot. I think I think there's elements of things in there that that aren't as mental. <laughs> like I think if Alonso was to like I think the bit about Alonso, I think he's probably on the ball there. I think in general, Alonso I think is fed up, and I think is considering his options. And I also think that if Alonso were to go, Vettel to Ferrari would be a major. Not necessarily possibility, but certainly there would be huge speculation that that might end up happening. But the bit about Red Bull giving up is where the crack pipe comes out. <laughs> um, Ricardo's done a fucking great job, no doubt about it. But this is a team that has been custom built around Sebastian Vettel for five years. And they're going to give up for... Give all that up. Give up the German driver and the German-speaking team for a man who's been in the seat for six races. I don't, don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> no, it's just the idea that the the team is killing him in the figurative sense of. Uh, is he suggesting that already this season, at this after only such few races and such, they've abject, already started yeah, to give started him to give Ricardo all the shit parts. Nah, just come on. <laughs> All the shitty parts are going into Sebastian's car. And all the Take Red Bull are... deliberately have the way it's worded it is if he's got they've got a shed full of crap parts with Mark Webber written on the door. And they've taken down it's the literally side. they've literally crossed it out in big black marker and just written Seb underneath it. Like the guys at the factory are going, can we get some more shitty exhaust made, please? Like, <laughs> like they've intentionally destroyed. 
Can you can you pass me the ECU with a big fucking hole through the middle of it? Yeah, that's the one. We'll put that in Seb's card this week. Jeez. Hi. Jack Villeneuve, calm your tits. <laughs> calm your tits. That's a great expression. <laughs> yes, Jack Villeneuve. But having said all that, get him booked for a, a punditry appearance. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Since Absolutely. someone posted on Planet F1 saying they wanted to see Eddie Irvine and Jack Villeneuve as the two colour pundits. <laughs> the bullshit off. That's what that would be. We can talk the most shite for freaking an hour. Jeez. Oh, dear. Uh, so a couple of things that came out of the Austrian Grand Prix that I wanted to maybe discuss with you is um, the Turn 8 black and white application of going over the white line in quali. Mm-hmm. Good or a bad thing? Uh, I got is it good to see the rules being applied strictly and correctly, or...? I, it's a tough one, but I hate runoff area, so I'm going to say mm. aye, <laughs> just because I'd much prefer gravel everywhere. Every single bit that there's runoff, I would prefer gravel. So, yeah, stick to stick within the lines. You know what? I, I wasn't sure where I stood on this one, but I haven't been pressed. I'm going to say, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. There's a track there. Stick, stay, stay in the lines. Yeah, I think that's that was my general general feeling is as well that i was quite pleased that for once they weren't being wishy-washy about it and giving some people yeah. a penalty yeah like, that's right. like with poor old roman grosjean with that beautiful overtake he did on massa the other season that just got wiped from the books because he he strayed like half a millimeter over the white line and it's just like you know if you're going to do that then be consistent with everybody it's the same at the start do you know what i mean you see the people who just fucking dive off the track and then rejoin in the same place that they left because they know they can get away with it. They know if they leave and rejoin at the same place, they won't get penalised for getting an advantage, but they know that it's much better to do that than it is to try and actually fucking race people. Uh It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. No, I agree, and like I say, I think I've I've decided uh, fair play on this one. I give them credit. But that's the further talking point. I like gravel. I want loads of gravel. If you make it at like Lewis's spin, for example, in qualifying, that should have been beached. <laughs> I like, yeah. I like, I like cars getting beached. There was like an Austrian Grand Prix in like nineteen ninety nine, I think it was, where Mika got spun out by DC yep. in his Silver Arrows McLaren, and that was his race over because he'd been beached in the gravel at the first corner. It wasn't necessarily Mika's fault because I think DC tagged him more than it's anything to do with Mika, but. That's the Formula One I grew up yep. on. Whereas if you spin it out and you get stuck in a gravel, that's tough, tough luck. And I like yes. that. Like mistakes should be punished. Absolutely. Driver errors, particularly, should be punished. So. Um, and with the success of the Austrian Grand Prix and it, it generally providing quite an interesting race, um, from you know start to finish, should we be looking at bringing in more short, quick tracks? So, you know, sub-15 second laps. Um, Seems like a good idea to me. You, you yeah. condense all the action down into, you know, manageable chunks. And it also means that if there's only one or two places to attack on a racetrack, yeah, you they come about more often. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sick of going to somewhere like Bahrain where you, there's one place to overtake on the track. And then, you, you, you know, you're waiting nearly two minutes for the fucking next time for it to come around. And it's just like... Absolutely. Can't can't argue with that, and it was a really good race. And Interlagos is a short track, and that's a really good track as well. So, yeah, uh, sure. But we don't seem to be building any of those type tracks. Every single track that Tilt builds is like a minute forty or something. So, they've got a real obsession with 
23 corner tracks and stuff like that. Look at all the new ones. Look at Korea, Malaysia. Uh, what else is new? Austin, uh, Austin Texas. Actually, Austin isn't quite as bad, is it? It's that's that's a mid-teens one, I think. In corners, it's not the most horrendous one. Bahrain, of course, as you mentioned. So, Abu Dhabi and yeah. Abu Dhabi is the worst. Fucking shit. The worst. So yeah. absolutely flat and too many corners. It is the least interesting place mm-hmm. in the world. It's more boring than Norwich. I've never been to Norwich, but okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, flat and featureless and of nothing of interest is pretty much what you might as well. Yeah, <laughs> if I have to describe Norwich and the surrounding. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, no, I'm with. I think so. Like, fuck it, why not? I'm all for any any of these old school European tracks. I like. I love them. I love my Monza. I love my my uh, uh, Hockenheim, Silverstone, yep. even. So happy to see Austria back, and we'd be happy to see Emma back if that got the mm-hmm. the uh, the work done that needed. Anywhere like that, I like all those kind of tracks. That's the Formula One I grew up on. So more of them, please. Yep, definitely. Excellent. Well, obviously, speaking of uh, old school tracks, next GP takes us to uh, one of the oldest. Yeah, um, the only one I've ever visited in person. Indeed, me too. Uh, Silverstone for the British Grand Prix. Can we see anybody but the Mercs winning this one? Do you think the Williams will be able to? Didn't see, didn't see Williams getting pole at um, Austria, but I'd be very surprised if it wasn't a Mercedes win. I'd still give it ninety-five percent Mercedes, five percent Williams. Uh, There's some tricky sections to see. Do you think the Red Bulls are going to bounce back? I think they might be quick in the one section, but I think they're going to be absolutely murdered down the hangar straight. So, and down the new pit street as well, which of course has been added, isn't it? So, there'll probably be two DRS zones as well, eh? So, probably. You probably can't remember if there were two. You'd though. assume there'd be one down like the main street and one down the down the hangar street. So, well, maybe this it's mm. difficult, isn't it? Because those are quite far apart. So, you have two detection have... zones, though. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm really looking forward. I to think that. the Red Bulls will be slightly better than they were in Austria, but not anywhere near where they should be. Mm. That's my take on the Red Bulls. I think Mercedes will win, and given after Austria, you gotta gotta say Williams will be the next best team. Surely, yeah. Can't see any, yeah. can't see anybody else challenging. You can't see Ferrari or McLaren beating the Williams this weekend, can you? So no. Um... It's a bit of a driver's circuit as well, which is always good. Always tends to throw up a surprise here and there, and you know, not necessarily the people that you expect to do well always do well. Um, which is why it's such a good track and always good. And obviously, the atmosphere is um, is pretty amazing. Uh, so Lewis so, and Nico then, if it's a one-on-one fight between the two of them, yeah, I think I... Lewis is going to get the better of him this weekend. Though. Yeah, funnily enough, I was going to say the same thing. It it, it feels like Lewis almost has to. Mm-hmm. It feels uh, like Lewis just... He it, will. He has to, so he will. Ken. Yeah, it, he, he kind of almost scraped to this last last race. Which sounds a bit wrong, because he didn't really scrape it. He was pretty comfortable. But he had to, he had to fight for it, rather than, you know, have a one-on-one battle with his teammate. 
I think he psychologically needs to go out and be really dominant. I think and... he'll put it on pole. I, I feel I really, and obviously I'm an Eco fan, so I hope not. But I think just got that feeling in my bones that it's going to be a Lewis Hamilton, one of those ones where he just turns up absolutely on it and he sticks it on pole by four tenths and then just drives away and Nico will finish five, ten seconds behind in the second place and Lewis has just got the better of him on the day. That's that's the feeling I've got in my in my bones for for this weekend. But you don't no maybe not, but that's where I would lean towards. Yeah, I must admit that's that's how I I've been sort of reading it in my mind that this is this is the time for Lewis to shine. Uh, and that he might even take this in the next couple of races and really, you know... When Lewis absolutely has to win, he absolutely has to, he often finds a bit, finds a bit of something, and uh, and he has to win this weekend. If he loses to Nico this weekend, the gap goes to nearly 40 points, I think. So, yeah, he, he has to win this weekend, and so I think he'll just... And plus, it being his home Grand Prix as well, he's obviously going to be up for it, so... yeah. No, I think so. Barry Third place. Third place. Yeah. Williams, probably. Which one? Could go either way, really. It's a toss of a coin. Bottas got Austria. I think Master seems... I can't really remember Master's record around Silverstone, but I think he's okay. So, maybe go with Master. Just, just yeah. Say Felipe for third. I'm going to stick my neck out, then. And I'm going to say... Danny Rick. Danny Ricardo, do you think the the um the Red Bull's gonna find a bit of something here? Do you? I just I just think it might not be able to challenge the Mercs, but I just get the feeling that they'll turn up and it'll work for them here where it didn't at Austria. Well Christian Horner's given Renault an absolute ball again, so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, they certainly can't they certainly shouldn't be breaking down on that basis. <laughs> they should have the solid platinum engine that uh, Renault have been keeping back for this race, just in case. They're made out of uh, adamantium and Wolverine and <laughs> I don't know everything to make it as bulletproof just, as possible. I'm not convinced. I don't. No, think, I just. I don't, I don't know enough. why. I don't know why. It, it's mostly because Weber kept on turning up yeah, at Silverstone and doing really well in a Red Bull when it. You know, everybody said, "Oh, well, it's not Silverstone's not really a Red Bull track," and I just. Get the feeling that Daniel might do exactly the same thing—that he'll just drive the wheels off the Red Bull and um, be really surprising. You know, Vettel, I don't necessarily think will do as well, but I think Danny might just be just be turning up with a little bit of something oh, to prove after Vettel, the last race as well. Vettel can't possibly hope to do as well. He'll he'll have have those crappy Mark Webber parts on his car, <laughs> won't he? So. Well, he's he's always had really terrible luck at Silverstone anyway. It's not a racetrack he's. Um, He's necessarily done all that well up in the past. He's, he generally get seems to get caught up in stuff um, when he's going around Silverstone. Mm -hmm. So uh, we can only hope for more, I guess, is the <laughs> is the not so subtle way of putting it. Um, so yeah, there you go. That's that's my that's my outside pick for the Silverstone top three. And does Silverstone racetrack look like anything to you? Oh God, oh, I'd forgotten. Hang on a minute. Let's. Um, I think it's a really difficult one this week, especially with that new section that they've put in. Yeah, so it almost looks like two different. Do you know what it is? It's a, it's a bra. Could yes, I can see that dropped on the floor, discarded. <laughs> um, she's definitely got a bigger uh, right boob than left boob. I think. 
That does happen. That's not uncommon. <laughs> Two different cup sizes, definitely. Um, what else could it be? It is... Um, a tough one. It's that, it's that last section. The new, the new pit straight section. It doesn't help, does it? It's like it? somebody's taking uh, a bite out of the old track, basically. Yeah. Um, Not an easy one this week. What am I going to say? Uh, do you know what, actually what it kind of looks like is it looks like like a bullet that's been picked out of like a ballistics test. Like there's the back end of the bullet and then there's the right hand side is the sort of cap to it. Right. Okay. I can... Okay, I see it. Yeah, I see it. But no, no, not the greatest oh, one. Oh no! Hang on a minute. It's um, if you you have to squint a little bit. Right. But it, it's a superhero mask. What what way are you looking at that? <laughs> you just look. It's this straight way up. The two top corners are like the bits that go across the eyebrows. Okay. So it's looking, yeah. It's looking slightly down and um, towards you. So one eye is slightly flat on, and the other one isn't. So if you put sort of dots in the middle, it kind of looks like a sort of inverted Batman mask, sort of. Yeah, no, I see it. I see it definitely. Definitely see it. Uh, it's also a bottle opener. <laughs> this, this one doesn't look massively like a bottle opener, though. Or what could it be? Um, it could be a shoe sizer. A shoe sizer. Yeah. So the middle bit kind of looks like there's a toe right in the middle. <laughs> so you put your foot in there and it tells you how, <laughs> okay. how, big, you, <laughs> how big your feet are. Uh, That's as good as I'm getting with Silverstone. Not a great one. Not a great one. We'll need to hope for better things for the next, for the next track. Okay. Ready to finish this off? Yeah. Okay. So that brings us nicely to the end of another show. Uh, let me first thank all the people who have liked our Facebook page this week. I really, really appreciate of that. We're literally, I think we were at 71 likes last time. Um, very which, good, eh? That's yeah, it makes us both very happy that we've got you know people coming in and checking us out. Um, if you haven't already, please go and like our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the final lap podcast. And if that wasn't enough, you can follow us on Twitter at Final Lap Podcast. Uh, we can, we'll update with the latest episodes and we'll retweet any interesting news we see floating around the internet on uh, on all things Formula One. And if you really can't get enough of us talking about Formula One, you, why not follow us both on Twitter? You can catch what we think about other things, although it's still mostly F1, really. Uh, you can follow me. My address is at Megs. And you can follow me, of course, at Fog on the Fourth. And you should also bookmark the website www.modernfanatical.co.uk, where we host all of our episodes. And you can subscribe to our iTunes feed by searching for the Final Lap Podcast and clicking the subscribe button, which we will massively appreciate everybody who does that. Indeed. So all that leaves me to do is thank you for your continued support. Thanks for listening this week, and we'll see you next time for the Greatest Grand Prix. Cheers, bye.
I think he'll do really well there. So, oh, I don't. Jennifer's just coming from work. <laughs> Put some goddamn oil on that door. Hello, <laughs> Hello Jen. Hi. <laughs> This is well, this is definitely it. going on the podcast. I'm not editing this out. <laughs> bye, Andrew. Uh, bye, Jen. 